0: Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. We just had our annual Musicians on Musicians issue, and we're going to be playing some of the conversations from that package. We're going to start out with Lil Baby and Lil Wayne. Lil Baby of course is one of the year's biggest rappers. He had that amazing protest song, The Bigger Picture, that helped win him the cover of Rolling Stone on his own earlier this year, and Lil Wayne really needs no introduction. They had a great conversation moderated by my colleague, Dwayne Gage. It starts out with Lil Wayne explaining what he sees in the music of Lil Baby.
1: When I listen to anybody, I'm listening to lyrics. I'm listening and hearing two different things. We hear shit, we might like stuff that we hear, but we only love things that we listen to. I start listening to the lyrics. I start listening to what the homie was saying. And then when you're speaking about something so real like that and figuring out how to make that shit actually go, go together and sound... The way you make it sound, make it rhyme, even when it doesn't rhyme, even when it doesn't have to rhyme, that's when you're discovering something within yourself and you're discovering that way. I am creative enough to do this shit. I am more creative than I think I am. I can hear that inside of it when I listen to it.
2: Baby, we all know, like, Wayne the Pioneer. And what ways did you say, like, Wayne style um, had an effect on you? Um, I always felt like Wayne did what he wanted to do in
3: the sense. And the reason I felt like he could do whatever he wanted to do because he put the numbers up behind him. So that's the way I'm kind of right. I'm gonna rock out how I wanna rock out as long as I put the numbers up, you know what
2: I'm saying? Like, so I'm on some, like, as long as I do what I need to do, shit, it'll be smooth for me. Speaking of numbers, the runs that y'all go on or whether it come to features, back-to-back tapes and albums, how do y'all keep up that work ethic and, like, keep fans wanting to hear you? I just do it. like I just keep the
3: grind and keep on at it. And like, I'm like, man, I gotta do this so my fans can keep on doing this. I'm just being me and just doing what I'm doing. I done got to a point where I felt like this shit made for me or like, you know, this is destined for me to do to the point where I'm just doing
1: it. I don't recall a point in time where I ever went back and said, okay, now I gotta do this for this specific situation or uh, I must do this for this. It's just, I do what I do what I love to do and plain and simple and then, Hopefully it works, and then I got great people around me, like my bro Mac. I got people like that around me. I was going; they all he always know what everybody want, and I shoot for the goal, and hopefully I hit it. How did you develop
3: that work ethic on my end? I think it comes from just the hustle and the grind, like period. Going the hustle and knowing like we go hard at what we do. Like, follow so the studio all day, we shop all day, like oh, we
1: used to. Like we some all day. Moves. I got it straight from Birdman, Birdman, Manny Fresh and uh, Ronald Slim Williams. That's what they embedded in us, you know what I mean? like They went to the studio Monday through Monday. So they, they put this in my head since then that you must work no matter what. You know, they was literally, I was 14, I was 13. They had no problem with knowing that I had exams or whatever, <laughs> you know what I mean? They ain't tripping about none of that. You need to be in the studio, we need that verse. In the studio, it's like the same
3: thing. And for me, it's like, was. Oh, the outcome, man, like we do this shit right, we can go on the road, we can go see all these females, we can get all this money. It's like my outlet. So, like, nigga, go hard for this shit. How would you say, being from where you from, how much that shaped you? I feel like it shaped me a whole lot, cause, you know, that's my swag, that's my flavor, that's my flow, that's my talk, that's my walk. Like, my everything, where you come from, you know what I'm saying? I feel like you come from is 90% you, you know what I'm saying? Cause, where you come from, your environment, that make you think certain way, that make you, act
2: the same way, you know what I'm saying? That's how I feel.
1: And what about you, Wayne? Like, being from New Orleans, how did that How did that shape you? Being from New Orleans is the reason why I am a rapper, bro. You know, pl- plain and simple. Um, my oldest son, he's doing an assignment for school right now. And he asked me uh, this week, he was like, Dad, I have to do an assignment, it's on you. He's like, so can I ask you a few questions? And his question was, which rappers influenced you to rap? Actually, I was like, your teachers or your, your friends, they're not gonna know who Ronnie. Little brother is, they're not gonna know who that is. I was like, but my answer is because I'm from New Orleans, we have a thing, everybody have block parties, but we have them, um, we had them very frequent back then. You know, they were like a concert, but the mic was always open mic. And so, you know, those regular guys who was rocked them every um, block party, they became superstars. You know what I mean? No cars, no jewelry, no nothing, but that's slime who be on it, who rocked the DJ, that's Ronnie. I saw him popping. I wanted all that, so one day, I, I got hyped up, all jacked up off of some Mountain Dew. You know what I mean, I was I was just eleven years old. I walked up to the DJ and asked him, "Let me see the mic." And shit, he let me see the mic, and I did what I did from
2: that. What's your process going into like writing a song versus like maybe writing like an album? I got the same process, honestly. My whole
3: process when I walk in the booth is just like go hard. You really like, that's I'm thinking. like I'm thinking make a song or disappear. I'm just thinking like, go hard as I can go on this beat. You get what I'm
1: saying? I approach it a bit different. Of course, I got to I want to know who's the song for and what's the song about. And that after that, then I'm I go back into little baby mode like he just said, <laughs> just go in there and kill it. I've always tried to impress. So whoever gives me a song, that's my main thing. That's my main thing. Like when I send it back, I want that person or the, those people to be impressed and to be sad, more than satisfied with what they just got back. I call y'all like the feature killers. Like, people listening to the feature probably just for you.
2: Is it kind of more of a competitive thing when you get on there, like, I'm finna go crazy?
3: And you know, a lot of time, I don't even be knowing what they said to afterwards. Like, <laughs> so again, it's been a lot of time. I've been kind of mad that I ain't listened to it because the artist was really talking on that bitch, you feel me? I would've, I, I would've had it come another way, you feel me? But, Okay. For the most part, I don't even listen to it like that, unless like Wayne said, it's somebody who I'm already like, fan of, and I know how they coming, Then I have to listen to it, you know see exactly how they coming so I can
1: come. And I just be aiming to make sure that the artist, when I send it back, the artist be like, fuck yeah, that's the one. I want to shoot a video to that motherfucker.
3: That's
1: what yeah. I mean. You know what I mean? That's all. I just be aiming for that.
2: Y'all production level is on another level too, because obviously that's that going hand in hand with the raps. Can y'all talk about the process of beat selection and how you know like, all right, this the one I want to hop on.
3: I don't want to take nothing from the producers. I think that when you that nigga rapping, it's more easier, like, you damn nigga make the beat one of them ones. Beat might not be it for somebody else, than beats that we going crazy on. So it's like, a,
1: if the beat sound good to the rapper in his mode that time, he can make it one and one. Like he said, all credit due to the producers with that too. If you love that music, then that's that's all of them. As far as the picking process goes, shit. When it come up, if it catch my end, you know in my head, I already start mm, 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 mm. I know if I do not start doing that in my head when I hear it, then that means it's one of them ones. What's
2: your process of picking? Like, all right, this should be a single for the album, all that, or is it like a collective process with like people around you?
1: Mac. That's a- it's simple. If I don't know how I don't know, baby. I'll answer. I just throw them all out there on the table and let him pull his hair pull his hair out and he ain't even got no hair, that's why. But I give him like 90 songs when he all he actually needed was two. That comes from just having confidence in every single thing I do. And and thinking that every single song I do is worthy of being the number one song in the damn country. So therefore I never get pissed at none of the songs he didn't pick. I just look at it like shit, the ones you did pick, those are the best ones. The ones you didn't pick, those are the best ones too. We saving for this. I might take verses off shit and put them, you know, mixtapes, all that type of shit. Yeah, what about you, baby?
3: Once I play the music for the bros and I see enough of them tell me to play that one back or they want to hear that one, you know what I'm saying? I kind of already can feel it, like he's saying, like every song, but sometimes I feel and I play it I don't get the right reaction. I kind of know that this ain't what they want to hear. It's really my my, my people around me. They kind of let me know. Put a little snippet on Instagram or
2: something. I kind of work off, of, try to go off of everybody else. Baby, can you remember like the first time you heard Wayne through your speakers Or like, what was your impression? And then, obviously, you know, Wayne, you the same thing out there, baby?
3: I, know, I can't even remember, but maybe like elementary, going to middle really? school. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we young, watching BT, like hip hop. We, you know, we went, Step Daddy Pan, the motherfucker Biggie Hill, Low Jerk. Everything, Wayne, you know? Can't really remember like the first time I heard little Wayne song. I word for
1: word back then. It was only Lil Wayne down there, that's all I nigga know. I appreciate that love too. I heard and saw the video Drip, Drip Too Hard. At that time too, that was the away where a lot of music was sounding the same. Homie came on that motherfucker, I'm like, but who this is? Mike tell me it was baby, blah, blah, bless. So once I, I go check him out some more, I spoke your name real quick or something like that Uh, in front, Regenet. She's like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's what I want to hear, that's what I'm talking
3: about,
1: yeah. Once it got solidified, I was forever a fan for real. But that was just my natural, yeah. my ear. My ears going, to, I'm attracted to what's naturally amazing to me. Wait, how do you stay so lyrical when it's coming off the top of your dome? Google, uh, <laughs> <laughs> honestly, I put in whatever uh, the lyric or the quote maybe, and make sure I haven't said it already. Other than that, though, man, it's just natural. Like I said, I get the topic, get the subject, know who the song for. If it's my song, just go for it.
2: Right. Uh, baby, I know you said you're trying to just kind of go in there and go off how you feeling, but how you start putting the art together since you wasn't a rapper before?
3: I learned how to rap from like watching other people rap, or I learned how to go in the booth and put it together from watching other people, and I hadn't, write, I hadn't seen nobody writing them before. And that's one of the, the spots that I'm battling at an early stage, like, I don't want to say that again, make sure I ain't say that, you know what I'm So, Wayne has been going on so long and still just now getting to that stage but being able to still put out so many songs and not say the same thing. Like that's one of the one of the things that I get nervous about. Like, damn man, I gotta keep saying more shit, but it can happen.
2: Obviously music come easy to y'all, so I would say, what's probably some of the toughest challenges outside of making music that you face, like in your life?
3: For me, it'd be just staying focused, you know what I'm saying? Knowing that I got a lot to lose nowadays, and a lot of people depending on me, that's a hard challenge for me with all the scratches and shit that come with doing music. So that's like the main thing to me, and
1: managing my money the right way. Hey Amen. for me, the most, I wouldn't say difficult challenge, but a challenging challenge, I'll be trying to be the most perfect, if there is a such thing, father there is. My kids, to my three boys and my beautiful daughter. Like I said, it's not difficult at all. It's just the most challenging challenge, and I love a challenge. I think that melodically, uh, y'all don't get enough credit. Who are some of your influence outside of rap, within music? Outside of rap is first, it's going to be Miss Anita Baker. Miss Anita Baker, then you take it to Miss Betty Wright. I'm gonna drop a little Key Sweat up in there. Then Miss Sade. I let Erica sing to me a few times.
3: Like them, them type of songs, they, they soul music. You know what I'm saying? That shit you can feel.
1: I might flip it, then go Smashing Pumpkins, and go Nirvana, Nine Inch Nails, 311. Little stuff like that. I, I flip it a little bit. Make sure I ain't crazy. Put it like that. I listen to everybody, every other genre of music to make sure that they just saying the same thing, just their way.
2: Was probably one of the first
1: albums that influenced you, Jay Z in my lifetime, Volume One. It was the first album where I actually had the car that the rapper was talking about, and also Jay talked so crazy on it. He went so he went bananas on that album. I got I got lyrics from that album tattooed on me and shit. So that album stuck with me for real, for real. Baby, what was like your first uh, biggest album
3: influence? I ain't really had no first album influence. Since I can remember, I've been on CDs. I had CDs, books, and- can't remember that first one, but since I can, since I was about seven or eight, I've been on music, heavy, heavy. Before I ever thought about me rapping, I always remix people's songs or switch the words up, saying my partner's name, and they say their partner's name or no little stuff like that. So from the beginning, first album I heard, I
1: can't even remember. It's interesting that he said that because that was one of the main reasons of how I started as well, just wanted to mimic what the person that I like, what I, what I like. I just want to mimic what they was doing, and so once I figured out how to do it, like he said, put my homies' names right there. When he say something, I know my mom ain't gonna allow me to say switch that shit up and put something else right there. But that's the same process I go through when I make mixtapes. Baby, I already know I got the utmost respect, his shit. but now I want to say to the to the rappers and whoever song I did and I did, didn't know too much about you, please. Respect these fucking people that's rapping, these little boys right rapping today. Making a the mixtape these days, trying to mimic what them little niggas said. It was a beautiful challenge, for real. I got a whole different level of respect for every single one of them out there. For Baby, I already know, you already know, baby. I approached the songs that I did for Baby shit on my mixtape. Me and him lied to you and told you that we don't care about the song, we don't care about the artists, We just uh, I did on his baby songs that I'm remaking. I care about the artist. I care about the song, the title, every damn thing he said. I gotta make sure I say it just like him, but my own shit. You're here, coming soon. No seven three, plug bow. <laughs>
2: That's big. What are some of y'all, both
1: of y'all influences, uh, maybe outside of hip hop? Outside of music, my influence on all, all day, every day is my children and my family. My inner circle, my homies, and my fans. My fans, plain and simple, that's the, just to know that somebody is actually gonna give a fuck about what I'm saying. That right there, that was the that was always the ultimate feeling from the moment I felt it. That's
3: like one of the main things. Once you get somebody really feeling what you're saying and it's moving the shit you're saying, moving them, or they want to recite what you're saying, like shit, that's an autumn, like a an everlasting fire. Exactly.
0: And next up is Brittany Howard and Margot Price. Brittany Howard is, of course, the lead singer of Alabama Shakes and Thunder Bitch, and most recently had a great solo album called Jamie. Margot Price is a really talented singer-songwriter from Nashville, and the two of them are actually really good friends, and they had a lot to say to each other. This conversation was moderated by Marissa R. Moss. Let's jump right in
7: out of all the bands you've been in like Thunderbitch, Bermuda Triangle, Alabama Shakes, what is your favorite band? Or, or the band you have now that you are self-running?
8: Like? Yeah, that's a great question. All of it to me feels very different. So uh, different. It's like having different members of your family. Like to me, Alabama Shakes was like, you know, that's your brothers and sisters you grew up with. And then Bermuda Triangle was like soldiers in battle or something, you know what I mean? like it's your new family that you made. And then Thunder Bitch was like your friends that yeah. you know, you'd go out, stay out late with and do crazy mess with. And, and then there's this group, which is like for the- Pro? Like no, like a tr- like a leader. Like I'm like, yeah. this is my message and this is what I'm trying to say and this is the intentions behind it. And I f- it feels like a baseball team or something. Like we're gonna get it done. We're gonna go out there yeah. and spread all this like goodness. So everyone was different, but I mean, if I had to choose, I might say Thunder Bitch is my baby. It was a time where I was becoming really powerful in myself, and uh, being Thunder Bitch felt like I was 30 feet tall.
7: Oh, yeah.
8: Let's talk about your record. Let's talk about that's how Rumors get started. Now, I'm sure this is the question that, like, you've been asked the most, but, like, uh, what's up with that title? How'd you come up with it?
7: Actually, I was I was drunk on a bus, and nice. um, you know, like the band, they'll they'll say things in passing, but none of them write songs. And my guitar player Jamie, he was just like eating like pie or something with his hands in the front. Yeah. He was like, "Be careful what you say, man. That's how rumors get started." And I was
8: like, and "That's it, yeah." Okay, I like that. Thanks yeah. to thanks be to Jamie for that one.
7: That's right. Well, oh, what's something that you guys have? kind of learn from each other over the years over the course of your friendship i mean i saw britney blow up i mean it was like one minute we were at the bomb shelter and you know she was like still working for the post office and i remember you know everything just like took off and it was so incredible to see that happen i feel like you know too many times like there's artists that get like wildly popular and it's because it's like a fad or it's like marketed a certain way. But it was like, it gave me hope for like genuine music, just good music and, you know, and talent. And also just like seeing her like remain grounded through all of that. And like, you know, she'd come back, like she'd be jet setting with Paul McCartney and and then we'd go to like, I don't know, France and do karaoke and, go to Hermitage Cafe. <laughs> so that was, that was definitely really cool to watch. And just she did it with grace. You know, you always do.
8: Thank you. I'd say the thing I learned from you, Margo, is perseverance. Like, I just know I've known you through this entire uh, come up success story. And I remember there were times where you weren't so sure it was going to happen. And there were times where you wanted to give up or change your sound or you know you just weren't sure sometimes but you never did give up and you just really became more yourself through this entire process and I, I you know I'm so proud of you just knowing your story and knowing how hard you worked and uh or how hard you work because now you have a big family full of animals and, and humans yeah and uh got a cat for you yeah and maybe i'm getting a cat during quarantine not sure i hope so but anyways that's what i've learned from you is just like persevere 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 and be tough but also be kind you can be all those things you can be gentle and you can be a motherfucker and i really respect that about you
7: crying (laughs) one of the questions i had written down for you Brittany, was like what is the thing in the music industry that has like pissed you off the most? Does anything really like bother you?
8: Good God, where do I begin? <laughs> one of the things that really pisses me off the most is, uh, this is controversial, but I don't even understand why, is streaming. Streaming pisses me the fuck off. And the reason I say that is because there's becoming smaller and smaller ways of monetizing our work. Uh, and one of those things that we have to do is leave our families and go hit the road and make the kind of money we need to survive because don't forget folks, we also pay a lot of taxes. <laughs> oh yeah. So all that work we're doing, 40% goes Uncle Sam and then we get home and we just want to provide for our families like everybody else. We're working around the clock. Musicians, artists are working around the clock. When we're not on the road, we're coming up with new ideas. You know, In, in a way, quarantine has been a blessing for me because I get to take a break. I think a lot of people don't realize that, yeah, streaming is cool and it's convenient and it's here, but how do we make streaming work for musicians? That's one thing that really gets me. I think there's a better way.
7: No, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I think lately too, it's like with this rug pulled out from under us and no way to go out and tour, it's becoming more of an issue and you know I think for it's like something that everybody's kind of all accepted it's like one of these necessary evils or something but there still is a way to distribute it where it's not like some kind of pyramid scheme because that's what it is it's a pyramid scheme and the people that are making the money aren't even doing the work Mm -hmm. and it you know everything has really just become such a monopoly lately with you know everything kind of merged and the one guy bought it all and you know
8: it's that's our industry, girl. But we're yeah. the ones that make this industry.
6: Well, what would your answer to that question be?
8: Yes. What pisses you off the most about the music oh. industry, Margot?
7: I was gonna talk about streaming, but since, <laughs> since we already just got that out of the way, just genres and be everybody wanting to like stuff you into the genre, and then mm-hmm. that's like how you're known forever. Like, do you still? How do people describe you when they describe your sounds, like in interviews? Are they? Is it? do you feel like you get labeled a lot like soul singer or like, I don't know. Do you feel like you have like any bounds or have, I feel like you've broken through so, so many of those like constraints that probably were first built with, you know, like you said, sound and color, like it was so different and, and so um, still. So you.
8: Yeah, that's a good question. Every time I get into an Uber or every time I did get into Uber and they're like, what kind of music do you make? I just say my kind of music. That's the like best that. answer I got. Yeah, because you know I'm self taught, so I take from everything. You know, yeah, But I have to. What about you? Like country, Americana, but also yeah. now there's this new record, so it's like you know got some Neil Young inspiration, some more rock towards rock. Like you seem like you're changing things as well.
7: Yeah, I mean I don't know. It's it's the thing. It's like I I don't even know what kind of label to put on it myself and I, you know I feel like people need like a label as like a reference or like you know they love to compare to like past artists you know just yeah. like this but I don't know I think like genres were just designed to just to market uh, yeah that's a you
8: know that's a good point because like you your your albums are considered americana or country music I don't even know how to phrase this but like Late on me. With, the, with the kind of reputation that country music has, especially here in Nashville, and it's kind of like a boys club and everybody you kind of got to get in, in order to get successful. I mean, have, have you witnessed any of this stuff? I mean, obviously, you can't call nobody out, but like, unless you want to, but uh, <laughs> do you feel like you were part of th- this machine? Has your name, your group been involved in that kind of world? Or have you been able to stay on the outside of that kind of world?
7: i feel like that was like my ambition with this third record too was like to not have it everything all like drenched in in only country instrumentation you know because i hear
8: that for sure yeah
7: yeah you know i was like i didn't i didn't want fiddle on it i didn't want pedal steel and not because i don't love those things but because there's more than just one genre of music that's interesting you know yeah and you knew my first band buffalo clover i was trying to play more like rock and roll and like soul music back in those days. I don't know, you know, that it always came off and I was still like learning who I was and
8: Mm -hmm.
7: learning about who I was as a writer, but I did not want to continue to make like throwback country records over and over because it just seems boring, you know, to make the same record. And that's the same thing that you're doing too with like, I'm sure, you know, when you left your, your band, like, Probably there were a lot of people that questioned it and
8: Yeah. I feel like I questioned it a little bit.
7: Well, yeah. I mean, but you were the band. I mean, even though they were the band too, it's like you were writing the songs, it's your voice, like
8: Yeah. You know. it, it was it was different collaboration. I liked collaborating with them to be honest. It was like I, I felt comforted by having yeah. someone to have ideas thrown at and back and forth and sticking things to the wall. I, I really enjoyed being on a team I think I was more exploratory in myself just like what if I really could have the confidence to do this by myself because that's what it takes I mean you gotta it takes confidence because you could you could blow this whole thing up and then you're then what everything you know what I mean it's scary that's what I'm trying to say it's scary
7: to me it's like just as scary to like do the same thing over and over and like let the music like not be exciting you know
8: yes yeah.
7: i think when you're out of your comfort zone a little bit like that's that is where really great things happen and i i just definitely knew that i i wanted to branch out and i mean i probably always live here i mean there's part of me that you know would love to live on the west coast or you know just go live somewhere else for a while and and who knows, with everything that's going on right now, I guess I got extended time, but I never felt like I was part of the country music establishment and, you know, the award the shows and the and yeah. festivals that they put on. There, there was a couple of things that I was invited to, but then I think like there were just certain things that I said that took my name out of the hat and was, like-
8: There was things you said, like political things you said, or just comments about country music industry that I got you uninvited?
7: Th- probably both. <laughs> But you know, it's like with the gun control issue and like, you know, the shooting that happened in Vegas and mm-hmm. then the way that that was all handled, maybe it was CMAs or whatever, it just all kind of got washed over. Nobody wants to say anything bad about the NRA. And I'm like, well, fuck them or, you know, fuck Trump, fuck whoever, I'm not, I'm not gonna play their games and I don't care about co-writing with any of those people. And I don't care about the awards or the, or the
8: click. See this what I'm saying, folks. Margot Price, she sticks her guns. <laughs> she is who she says she is. She walks like she talks it. What you see is what you get. That's what
0: I admire about Margot. And next up is Phoebe Bridgers and Lars Ulrich of Metallica. Now, Phoebe, of course, released the great album Punisher this year. We had her on the show by herself. She also has a couple of EPs out and no doubt is working on a ton of other stuff. The two of them Seemed to get along really well. It was a great conversation, moderated by my colleague Corey Gro. Here's how that went. You guys know each other. I know you guys met. Um, maybe just if you want to start off with Phoebe, how do you how do you know Metallica? And then maybe Lars too. Just you know, what do you know about Phoebe?
6: The first time I heard Metallica, I think it was a off road video game that my brother got. But I just like loved the music to it, and it happened to be Metallica. And then my fandom kind of blossomed. Obviously, I was a kid, and the early 2000s so it is always kind of a gift when a band that you just get into has an entire catalog already like they're still putting out albums but you just you get to go back and like listen to everything
5: it's pretty crazy how especially the last album came out and i would say probably 50 percent of the kids out there are 15 or younger and are seeing metallica for the first time i can see it in my own kids, you know, especially my youngest, his favorite band is like Black Sabbath and he's, you know, listening to all these great Black Sabbath songs and but he has no real understanding of the fact that the music he's listening to is 40 years old or 50 years old and it doesn't seem to have any role in his enjoyment and his connection of what what he's experiencing. It's just so amazing how um, music just continues to cycle through. Did a lot of the music that you grew up with come through your brother?
6: Yeah, I think so. A lot of it came from my parents, but my parents were pretty deep in like the Laurel Canyon kind of like folk scene. I'm actually curious what you think about this because when I was a kid it was like new metal and stuff was happening and I didn't vibe with it that hard. I liked you know, like older metal bands. Always, I was curious what you like, what your relationship is to people referencing Metallica. Have there been instances where you feel like flattered, or you're like, "Oh man, that's so cool!" Like this little kid is learning my drum parts. Or there are there times when you're like, "Jesus, like that's just exactly"? something that we made, but like
5: worse. Well, I have a lot of mixed emotions about it. I mean, most of it, and I know you can relate to this, I guess I've always tried to speak my truth, but you learn kind of along the way that that truth is often momentary. And, you know, it's just sort of like, so you say something and then you you read it a month later, it comes back to haunt you. So I have so many mixed emotions about what you're saying, um, but I understand that Metallica has made a difference and obviously, I'm super proud of that and super grateful, but at the same time, I've conditioned myself to kind of always look ahead. There's almost a fear of embracing the past, of kind of getting stuck in the past, a fear of uh, of kind of glorifying the past. All four of us have kind of elements of that. So for us, it's always about what's next. It's always about the future. So what's your favorite Metallica record? Well, you know, my favorite Metallica is the one we haven't made yet because if that's not my favorite Metallica record, why do it?
6: I mean, you have great fans too, but you also have fans that ha- that are pretty entitled and have ownership over you and are like, these are the real Metallica records and then like, fuck them after this time. And then like we were just talking about, you also have 15 year old kids who are seeing their first Metallica show. That's what changes a band from having like longevity to just being like, well, we should probably do what people liked last time that we did.
5: Yeah, and, and obviously the difference now compared to back in the day is now that everybody's got an opinion, you got to be really careful. You don't get caught up in that. Um, right when that shifted, you know, it's like, wow, this is really interesting. You can sit and read what people think of you after a while. It's like, hold on. <laughs> you know, that can go someplace, maybe not great, you know. So I think there's this this tendency to kind of glorify, I guess, you know, Master Puppets Ride, The Lightning Justice for All, or whatever. Those are the guys that maybe have the the loudest voices, but when you dig deeper into it, it's surprisingly pretty evenly spread out over the course of the 400 years we've been doing this. And the craziest thing is is just what happened with the last record, because that became, this is the best record they've made, you know, 25 years or whatever, so... I guess if that can still happen that's enough reason to keep doing it you know
6: Yeah and the internet especially now but even in the beginning I think it incentivizes arguing and I think it incentivizes like the craziest and loudest most toxic people so that stuff always kind of floats to the surface but uh, I mean the Napster thing is so interesting to me because now we're sitting in 2020 and somebody who doesn't play music at all is making all the money On streaming and I feel like fans felt victimized because they were like you know I don't have any money and I just want to have this record and it's like you're getting fucked over too dude like it's a new business now having come from somewhere where you made money actually on records and then now streaming is just kind of secondary and you have to go on tour constantly to make actual money it's just it must be so weird
5: it was a weird time uh, because it was so um, it was so unexpected so you consider 20 years later and look at it, and you know, most of the time when I meet people that were kind of around and you know, they'll give me a little hug, <laughs> thank you for standing up for musicians, man, and thank you for having our back, there was no glory in any of that shit at all, uh, I find no victory at all, it left me kind of shell-shocked, because it, it was so unexpected, and it really started more as a, I don't know, like a street fight, it was like, wait a minute, one of our songs is playing on a bunch of radio stations in the Midwest, it's like, what the fuck is that? You know, it was a song we hadn't released yet. So we started tracing it back and it was like, "Hamster, what the fuck? And let's just, Go, you know, it was like that's kind of the environment we were brought up in was, you know, if somebody fucked with you, you would just go after them. All of a sudden it was like all the lights came on <laughs> and boom, the whole world was watching. It was like crazy. And, and it left certainly a pretty crazy taste in my mouth, especially because those couple of years, I mean, everybody was my friend. And then as soon as I was out there and I looked behind, there was not a single person behind me. Right, I was just out there by myself, obviously the support of the band, but it was just, it was really weird. So the way it's all kind of played out. I like the fact that if you and me and Corey, you know, wanted to record a song this afternoon, we could have it streaming and sharing Mm -hmm. it with the world tomorrow. That's really cool because it's a way that we can all express ourselves without having to go through that whole record company fucking thing. But at the same time, obviously, as you know, there's nothing that makes anybody stand out. Yeah. How do you separate the Phoebe, Lars and Corey band, you know, from the other Phoebe, Lars and Corey bands that are on the same street? Mm -hmm. You know, and and that becomes so hard. The amount of great shit that's out there that just doesn't find a way to rise up. So there's a, a positive and a negative to all that stuff uh, that you're talking about. But you know, one thing I was, let me throw this back to you because I'm very proud of what we've done with Metallica in the last five years. We've made a real effort to really engage our social media, but it's still something that's kind of new to us. It's never been something that you've been an artist without. Tell me about how you view social media and how you use it to get your shit out there to communicate with your fans and so on.
6: I always end up on the devil's advocate side of social media. Maybe it's just, I have like a lot of older friends or people who aren't on it or think it's stupid. And I feel like I, I end up just being like, but look, this kid made up a dance to one of my songs and, they didn't even have to really do anything. I, does Metallica have TikTok dances? I bet they do.
5: Uh, definitely some out there, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
6: Um, but yeah, I think it's great. Such fast access. Same with streaming, like you're saying. Like you can just put stuff up. It's it's nice to have like a direct line. I think that what's so nice about it is that you can be kind of really genuine. Or if my friend puts out a song that I think is rad, I can post it on Instagram and kind of direct fans to them it's just just this kind of like constant window into you know my views on music or or telling people to vote um i think it's great but obviously it has a dark side like everything else
5: do you ever sit there and go like "Fuck, this is so cool should i just put it up on my instagram now you purposely sort of think of the social media aspect of it as you're creating
6: not really i think once once we're recording and kind of fucking around it's fun to post little clips and stuff. But I'm not thinking about it like while I'm writing songs. Although I do send it immediately when I'm done with a song, I'll send it to like five people because I'm a solo artist. So I don't have a band. I just have like people to give me a thumbs up or thumbs down like my friends. So I like the immediacy of my cell phone basically being constantly around me.
5: So when you say you're a solo artist, I mean, I found some clips of you. Einstein. uh, Oh, no. (laughs) Einstein's, uh, was it? Einstein's secret or Einstein's, Einstein's
6: secret dirty secret, secret.
5: <laughs> and Sloppy Jane.
6: Oh yeah, Sloppy Jane is sick. Sloppy Jane is. Those epic. were I mean, those were two bands.
5: Yes, uh, those that, are, Yeah. So you started kind of just in in the collective setup and the band setup, and then migrated out of those two projects and do to do your own thing.
6: Yeah, I think I just didn't like my name very much, uh, and was like, I gotta have a band name. I want to be like rock. Um, so, Einstein's Dirty Secret was just my songs. We were going for like a more hardcore thing than I think we we achieved. I think it ended up being kind of like Coldplay. Every song was like at the end it was really loud um, <laughs> It like started really quiet. But then Sloppy Jane is my friend's band that I just played bass in, and I have many bands. I have a band with Connor Oberst, Better Living Community Center. The other thing I was thinking about
5: was you put out two albums, two EPs. You have the thing with Connor. And you have one more band, mm-hmm. right? And you've done all of that in the same time. We toured on our last album. <laughs> <laughs> I which mean, that's that's pretty, epic. <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty crazy. I mean, are you always writing? You know, are you always just thinking about the next thing?
6: Yeah, I think I'm writing regardless of what form it's going to take. So if someone's like, "Hey, we should start a band." I'm like, cool, I have, you know, three new songs that could be sweet or I have this guitar riff. But uh, but two. yeah, that's a three-year album cycle. It's pretty, pretty steep. I can imagine why someone would maybe want to take a break.
5: I'll throw this back to you also is, when I think of 94, I think of, of two things always. When Oasis put their first single, Supersonic, out, which was a pretty significant moment um, for me musically, and then obviously when Kurt died. If that's 26 years ago... When you think of the year you were born, when you think of of Kurt Cobain and, and people like that, I mean, do you think of them kind of in the same way that I could argue about Bill Haley and, and all those dudes, little Richard being 20, 30 years before my tiny? do you look at them more as, as as peers even though it's you know it's 25 years ago?
6: I think I do more now. yeah, like when I was a kid, I was like, oh, the legendary Kurt Cobain or the legendary Elliot Smith. Um, and then now just it makes me sad just being around L.A. and being like, we we just wouldn't known each other. Like, could have seen him at some festival and like cross paths. It, it feels kind of like there's just something so fucked up about people dying young I, that I think I've just been reckoning with like the past couple of years where I'm like, you know, the Forever 27. I'm like, maybe 27 next year. Like, that's fucking insane. That's like no time. That's no time on earth. Like, I can't wait to do so much shit, which is a testament to to their, like, artistry and, and the, um, the huge dent that they left. But yeah, that was, like, one of the first things I learned about my birth year because I was obsessed with Nirvana.
5: What were the absolute first couple things you got into and how old were you?
6: The first things I got into were, like, Tom Waits before I even really started thinking about music as something that I could play and do. Um, I remember being very resentful of, like, piano lessons. Nobody's teaching me Tom Waits and Nirvana and Jackson Brown. Pretty eclectic, but all from my parents. But I think one of the first things that I really discovered for myself was, like, Elliot Smith, uh, which was very influenced by, like, all that shit, really. And, like, my metal phase, which has lasted my whole life, uh, was very confusing to my parents, especially because they were just pumping me full of, like, James Taylor. But, yeah, always super eclectic and always pretty resentful of, like, having to learn um, piano, which I wish I knew now. So
5: how old were you when you started?
6: I've been listening to music since I can remember. I, probably the, fir- the very first thing when I had no autonomy uh, was the Beatles, which is a great starting place. I now have like an encyclopedic knowledge, especially because of Tony Berg. There is not a day that goes by that he doesn't, make me listen to something that I haven't heard of the Beatles, which is like how they were banned for what, like five years. It's crazy yeah. how much there <laughs> there is. But then I started really playing when I was like, I don't know, 12. What was your first like super fandom and intro into drums and stuff? So my version
5: of that uh, is, you know, my dad, he was playing tennis. Uh, that was kind of day job, but music was his passion. And he was employed by a Danish newspaper to uh, review jazz music. And so my dad was playing that every day. Coming on, he had a, a music room that was next to my room, and it was just blaring all of, of those artists, uh, especially like Dexter Gordon and, and uh, Charlie Parker. And occasionally uh, there would be not so much Beatles, but there would be Rolling Stones,
7: mm-hmm.
5: Doors, and Hendrix. Zappa. And then when I was nine years old, I saw Deep Purple and that sort of changed my life. And then English music, just everything that was coming out of England, it was Deep Purple, Black Sabbath, uh, Uriah Heap. uh, And then all the, they're called glam bands in America, which I never quite understand, but (laughs) Sweet, Sweet and Slade. And then uh, a movement called the New Wave of British Heavy Metal, uh, which was sort of Iron Maiden, Saxon, Def Leppard. That started in '79, '80, and that's what really made me want to be in a band. Totally. I actually started playing guitar, but I found myself air drumming. I don't know why, and I just wanted to be in a new wave of British heavy metal band. And so I uh, put an ad in uh, the recycler. You know what the recyclers?
6: No, but I'm loving this. I, uh,
5: <laughs> The Recycler is kind of like Craigslist. Uh, yes. Going to any 7-Eleven, there'd be a Recycler, and somebody was selling their car, a motorcycle, a bicycle, whatever. And There was a small couple of sections in the back, you know, musicians looking for uh, bands and bands looking for musicians. And I put, Drummer Wants to Start a Heavy Metal Band. That's how I met Hetfield. And then um, we started Metallica. And Metallica is uh, the only band I've ever been in, which is pretty crazy.
6: That's like some, just like rock doc catnip right there is like meeting in an ad. That's so
5: fucking cool. What's so crazy, I guess, about our story is just the fact that we were so young. I was 17, Headfield was 18. We just started and within six months we were playing shows up in Hollywood, not fitting in at all, feeling totally ostracized and fucking like outcasts or whatever. But then somebody invited us to come play in San Francisco and we fell in love with San Francisco instantly and moved up here like five minutes later. You gotta tell me the, uh, of a lemmy reference and smoke signals
6: yeah it's just like a true story i was on i was on a road trip with my drummer and we were listening to the radio and they were talking about how lemmy passed away on the radio and i was like lemmy was alive you know i was like oh my fucking god it's crazy that he was alive this whole time so he like died twice to me i guess i just like sometimes always assume those people who are kind of famous for like living hard aren't around anymore and so it was just like a weird mind fuck. And then yeah, we just like spent the whole road trip like screaming along and like making playlists and kind of like re- revisiting music I hadn't listened to since I don't know in like so many years. And uh, it's fond fond memories for sure. Cool. Yeah, they also had a... Were there other
5: bands? No, sorry, finish your thought.
6: Totally, there were other bands on our... What did we put on that playlist? I probably still have it. That is one thing that I love about the internet is you can kind of like... If you misplace a record in your apartment, you're like, Yes, I have no idea where that is. But then the internet, it has like my summer 2011 playlist on like my Spotify. (laughs) I listen to a lot of Motorhead, a lot of Metallica, um, have dappled in the Slayer world. And then... Like maybe weirdly, really late for me, but may- maybe like 2013, I got like super, super into Nine Inch Nails. You
5: can't deny him and his talent.
6: Yeah, yeah, the sounds too. Like I'm, I'm kind of like a production nerd, and it's one of those musical influences that I feel like isn't very obvious in my music, but um, hopefully with maybe this next record, kind of, kind of this record, I, I visit it, but but not that hard. I also have kind of an apathetic voice, and I, I feel self-conscious that when I scream, I sound like musical theater. You know, I don't have, like, a metal, like, ah, it's a style scream. I just have, like, a, yeah, like, when I sing loud. Let that be
5: a good thing, okay? <laughs> yeah.
6: So that's our
0: episode for today. We'll be back next week here on SiriusXM's volume, channel 106. In the meantime, we are, of course, a podcast. Download us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to us as a podcast. Maybe leave us a nice review and five beautiful stars on iTunes. It is always appreciated. But as always, thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we'll see you next week.